Are you contemplating a major life change? I think we see three things in this scripture passage today that hopefully will help us in that process from the like of Jacob. So we see, first of all, Jacob requests permission to go home. How did he know it was time to go? Well, first of all, God spoke to Jacob through his desires. God speaks to us through our desires. Jacob had a desire to go back home to his own country, to have his own place, to provide for his own family. Now, men, this is a natural desire. It's a good desire to want to care for your family. Jacob had been there for 14 years working as a servant, as a shepherd for another man. And now he has a large family and he feels a sense of responsibility for this family. And he wants to take care of them. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. God often speaks to us through our desires. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, like many for years, I thought whatever I desire, God's going to give that to me. You know, as a Christian, God's just given us a blank check, but I don't think that's at all what the verse is saying there. That when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we find our joy and satisfaction in the Lord himself, And when we find ourselves continually seeking his face rather than seeking his hand, and there's a big difference, his face is intimacy with the father. Thinking of home, I can still remember my dad's whiskers when I used to, he used to wrestle with me as a kid. I'm 58 years old, but I remember that. I remember my dad's face and what a great time that was of intimacy, just wrestling with my father. And so the Bible tells, tells us to seek continually his face. And then, of course, we seek his hand to provide. But when we begin to delight in the Lord and find in him our joy and our satisfaction, then our desires change. Have you ever noticed that? They do. As a matter of fact, he will give you the desires of your heart. I think that means that his desires will become our desires. Our desires will become His desires. That's one of the greatest privileges and joys of prayer is that we get in tune with our father. It's not like Dennis the menace who goes up the stairs at night and he says, his mom says, be sure and say your prayers. He says, oh yeah, anybody need anything? (laughs) That's not what prayer life's all about, is it? It's communion with God, it's fellowship with God, it's intimacy with God. And I believe Jacob had that. And so he had this strong desire to go home to go home. Colby was talking about this Wednesday night in our study, Equipped to Multiply, how God has brought together the body of Christ at Alberta Baptist Church. And if you look around, we're, we're different. I mean, it's a beautiful sight to stand here in this place and look out across our congregation. We have varied people, backgrounds, and, and it's wonderful. We have different spiritual gifts, the Bible says. And the Bible says, if you're a believer, every one of us have a spiritual gift. But we also have natural abilities. We have opportunities and resources, as Kobe said Wednesday night, that we are responsible for. And along with that comes what I believe are God-given desires. I would call them passions or burdens. You know, it's been said that a few people with a burden can do more than hundreds of people without a burden. And I think one of the problems we have in the churches today is that we have too few people with a burden. You know, you know, what kind of desire has God placed on your heart for ministry, for people, for this community? 
And I believe that God does that. He puts a desire on our heart to see things different in our own family, in our own community, in our own church. And so Jacob had this God-given desire. And I believe clearly that, that God speaks to us through those desires. And then when it comes to ministerial desires or things to be done, let me remind you of Proverbs 13, 4. This is one of the first verses I memorized in college because I struggle with this. It said, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be rewarded. King James actually says, shall be made fat. So we won't go there. But the fear, it's not enough. The point is, it's not enough just to desire for things to be different. The sluggard desires for things to be different, but nothing ever happens. So church, I want to encourage you as we are equipped to multiply. We, what God-given desires has God placed in your heart that we need to act on? Now that's as a church. Let me make you this personal. Maybe you have a strong desire for your personal life, your business life, your family life. And notice I said God-given desires. Okay, because I know that every desire I have is not God-given. How can we tell the difference between a God-given desire and, and a, one of my own personal desires? To me, it's really pretty simple. You know, what's the ultimate outcome? Who gets the glory? Am I doing this for myself? Jeremiah 45, 5 says, if you seek great things for yourself, seek them not. Am I seeking this for my own desire? Or do, or do I think through my family, through my business, even through whatever activity that God can ultimately be glorified through this? And it's a God-given desire. Something that the Lord has placed on my heart. We could go on and on with that, but let's just say that God placed the desire on Jacob's heart to go home. God speaks to us through our desires. God speaks to us, secondly, through his spirit slash word. It's interesting, and we've got a lot of scripture to cover, so I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to hit it as we go through our points this morning, okay? But God had given Jacob a promise. In Genesis 28, 15, God said to Jacob, I will bring you back to this land, the land of Canaan, the land of his father. Now, what's so important about that land? We call it the what? Promised land. We know that ultimately Abraham's descendants would spend 400 years in Egypt. Then God would send a man named Moses who would bring them back to the what? Promised land. That's what we're talking about, church. The promised land. You know, we've written songs about it. We talk about it. And that's where God says, I'm going to bring you back. And we see that he reminds him in in, uh, chapter 31, verse 3. God gives him a command. 31.3, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Again in 31.13, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. 31 verse 16, Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah said to him, then verse 16, surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, Abraham, do whatever God has said to you. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Your wives are telling, you know, a wife, one's enough. Your wife is saying, do what God tells you to do. Isn't that a great, that a great mantra, for a, a mantra for a husband? I just want to do what God says. And a wife to simply have confidence in her husband. Honey, you do what God tells you to do. You do what God tells you to do. I'll follow you wherever Christ leads you. That's a great picture of a Christian marriage right there. Jacob, you do what God tells you to do. The point is this. God has made it very clear. 
And this is so important to the overall picture, the overall plan of redemption, that God would give his people a land, the promised land. God was going to bring Jacob back with all of his children, all of his sons. In just a few chapters, his name goes from Jacob to Israel, the tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. So this land is very important. So God speaks very clearly to Jacob. Jacob had a very clear direction from the Lord. You know, I've heard people say, I wish God would speak to me directly. Hello? He has. He's given us very clear direction in his word, has he not? Paul says, God's will for you is for your sanctification. I mean, you want to know God's will for your life, my life, right there? What does God say? My sanctification. That I conduct myself in moral purity. So that eliminates a lot of thoughts, a lot of questions, a lot of activities in my life, doesn't it? A lot of things I don't have to worry about. A lot of choices I don't even have to make because God's will is so clear. Your sanctification. God's will is that we forgive one another. And I haven't said this often enough, but I believe the hardest thing that God asks us to do is to forgive. We are more like Jesus when we are forgiving than when we do anything else. Tithing, singing, preaching. When we're forgiving, we're being more Christ-like than anything we do. But it's not hard. It's not easy, is it? God's will is that we forgive. God's will is that we love one another, that we serve one another. We don't have to question ourselves, what's God's will in my family? That I love my wife. Wives, you submit to your husband. That we nurture our children. Children, you obey your parents. I mean, if we just spent the rest of our life obeying and doing what we know very clearly in God's word, we'd be pretty busy, wouldn't we? It would eliminate a lot of confusion in our life if we do just what he's told us to do. Now, God told Jacob, go back. He made a promise and he made a command. I promise you, I'm going to give you this land. I command you to go back and receive your promise. Church, I think God is just as clear to us. What do we want to do at the church? God's told us, make disciples. Make disciples. There's no question about what the church ought to be doing. We ought to be making disciples. And we ought to be asking ourselves as church members, as believers, followers of Christ, asking ourselves continually, where are my disciples? Where are my disciples? We're commanded to make disciples. Where are my disciples? So God speaks to us very clearly through his word. God's clearly commanded us, take the gospel into the whole world. I mean, it's, it's, it's bittersweet when we see our children on the screen. I mean, we, we're so proud of KJ and his family, but, you know, they're not with us. Our grandkids are growing up, and we're thankful to get to see them, but they've heard a higher calling. They're obedient to a higher command. Go make disciples of all nations. Again, we don't have to wonder many times, what, what does God want me to do? Let me just get busy doing what he's already told me to do. And let the details, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Amen? So Jacob had a clear word. And I mentioned God's spirit here because Paul tells us in Romans eight fourteen, For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. We'll say more about this in just a minute. But the key for us is to walk in the spirit and not to walk in the flesh. As we're walking in the spirit, our desires line up. That sounds so Southern, desires. I made a four-syllable word. Anyway, our desires line up with God's desires. 
As we're walking in the spirit, we have his word, we have his spirit. God commanded Jacob to go back. He promised, I will be with you, I'll give it. And then the third thing, real quickly, God speaks to us. He directs us, and this is the one I put third because it's kind of on a little bit different ground here. God speaks through our circumstances. Many times we want to look at our circumstances first, and I think we've got to be very careful to kind of filter them through God's word and what God's doing in our heart because sometimes our circumstances are not the clearest direct source of direction, but I think they were in Jacob's experience here. Look at chapter 31, 1 through 5. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. They were murmuring. They were murmuring. On the count of three, say the word murmur with me. One, two, three. Murmur. That's what murmuring sounds like. Murmur, murmur. All right. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that, our, that was our father's. And from what belonged to our father, he's made all this wealth. They're murmuring. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. There's the command. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude. The circumstances have changed. I see that your father's attitude that is not friendly toward me as formerly. But the God of my father has been with me. See, circumstances have changed. Laban and his sons are not friendly anymore. Jacob sensed that it was time to go. Let me tell you, life is full of changes. And we need to, again, filter the changes around us through the Holy Spirit, through God's word. But God is a God who is in control and even our circumstances change. Uh, just personally, real quick, Teresa and I spent nine, nine years in Jackson, Alabama. People always ask me, where's Jackson? It's just about 30 minutes from Mobile by telephone. You know, it's out in the woods, but we loved it there. We went there. I've been there six months. The guy said, how do you like it? I said, I love it. I got the same tank of gas I had when we moved here. You know, we were, we were just having a great time, but we were there nine years. We saw the grandmothers die and the, the babies born. And after nine years... Confidently, we left because I felt like we'd done what we were supposed to do. Went to Sylacauga, same thing, 11 years there. Same type of ministry, same type of people. And Teresa is a stayer, not a goer. And I pulled her screaming, dragging her both times when we moved away. But God has spoken to me through the church, through the circumstances that you're through. See, I heard a long time ago, and I share this with you. This is great. It's not scriptural, but it's, I think it's good. Go where you're sent. Stay where you're put. Give all you've got. And don't quit till you're through. Go where you're sent. Stay where you're put. Give all you got. And don't quit until you're through. But church, there's a time when you realize, hey, I'm through. My circumstances have changed. It's time to move on. Okay? And that's where Jacob was. Laban's attitude had changed. God had commanded him to go back. He had this desire to take care of his family. So Jacob is ready to go home. Now, let me just say this. Make sure when you're making a move that everything lines up. Make sure when you're making a move that you're not running from something, but that you're going to something. 
There's a big difference. We'll see next week as Jacob is leaving, he's got an angry father-in-law behind him and an offended brother in front of him. So he was kind of between a rock and a hard place. But he knew it was time to go. But make sure when you're making a move, you're not running away that you've dealt with it. You're going to what God has called you to, okay? So we see these circumstances lining up in Jacob's life. Jacob requests, I want to go home. I want to go home. Number two, Jacob recognizes that prosperity comes from God. Prosperity comes from God. We see this in chapter 30, verse 27 through 30. Jacob asked permission to go. Here's Laban's response. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. Stay with me. I have divined, or Laban says, I have experienced, learned from experience that the Lord has blessed me on your account. Do you understand that? Laban, his father-in-law says, because you're here, Jacob, I'm being blessed. So don't go. He continued, name your wages, blank check, and I will give it. But he said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came and has increased to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? What do both men recognize? They recognize that God has blessed them. Jacob says, when I came, I had nothing. Kobe mentioned that. He didn't even have any, a bedroll to put under his head when he went to sleep. He had to sleep on a rock. You remember that? But he'll tell us later in Genesis 32, for with my staff only, not people, a stick, with my staff only, I crossed the Jordan. Now look at verse 43 of chapter 30. So the man became exceedingly prosperous. And had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. What had happened in 14 years? He came with a stick and he's leaving with a herd. (laughs) He's leaving as a prosperous man. What was the difference? We'll see he comes up with all kinds of schemes. He's a deceiver. But Jacob and Laban both recognize that God has blessed this endeavor. It is because of the hand of God being upon Jacob that he has a multitude of sheep and goats and donkeys and servants. God has blessed him. The Lord has blessed me on your account, Laban says. Jacob says in verse 30, the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. Chapter 31, verse 5, the God of my fathers has been with me. Chapter 31, verse 9. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. What's he saying? God did all this. God did all this. Let me ask you, church, are we smart enough to recognize that whatever we have in our life right now is a result of God's blessing? I mean, if you're a successful businessman, can you say with honesty, God did this? God has blessed me. Let me say this, if you have a house to go home to and you don't have, you're not a successful business, can you say God has given me a house? God has given me food to eat. God has blessed me with a child. God has blessed me with children. God has blessed me with a job. Because see church, if we don't recognize that, it can all be taken away just like that. If you don't think it comes from the Lord and it's a great blessing, just try to do without it. 
That's funny because most people don't want to give credit to the Lord, but first time something goes bad, what do we do? We blame God, (laughs) don't we? Everything, Paul asked the church at Corinth, what do you have? What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? We're all blessed by God, okay? Now, I want you to know this just for full disclosure. That Jacob, he decides to stay, okay? He decides to stay. He says there in verse 31, so what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall give me, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. This is where we get the timeline. He's been there 14 years serving for his wives. Now he's going to stay another six years serving for his wages, And Jacob says, I will stay if you'll do this one thing. If you'll give me all the speckled, spotted, and dark sheep and goats that are born, make them, they will become mine. And then, so I will stay and that will be my wages. Obviously, these are very rare because Laban quickly agreed. He quickly agrees. Okay, you can have all the speckled, spotted, and and dark uh, sheep and goats that are born. So Jacob, ever the deceiver, do you know what he does? He goes and he cuts down some trees and he strips the bark, makes striped poles, and he drives them in the ground near the watering hole where these sheep and goats would come to mate. In his mind, he thinks if they see stripes while they're mating, they'll have striped babies. Doesn't that make sense? (laughs) We laugh at that, but that's what Jacob thought. And we know today from Veterinary science and just from all, nothing in science supports that at all. But Jacob, ever the deceiver, you know, he, he, he and Laban kind of go tit for tack on this thing, boy. They're always trying to deceive one another. So Jacob came up with this plan. It didn't work. And we, we, again, you see that in verses 31 through 42, he had this plan, but there's no evidence that this had any impact on the color of the sheep. Uh, you know, I wanted to title the sermon this morning, Jacob gets Laban's goat, but I thought better of that. But he, he did. He ended up every, just about every sheep that was born was spotted or speckled. All the goats changed colors. Why? Because God blessed him. It wasn't because of those silly rods sticking in the water hole. Let me tell you, you can work hard and you can work smart. But ultimately, all that we have comes to us from the Lord. Amen? And until we recognize that, we've got a big problem. We have a big problem. I don't know if you remember, but over, turn with me, chapter 28, verse 22. This is Jacob talking to the Lord. He said, this stone which I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, that's easy for a man to say who doesn't have anything. To, <laughs> I'll give a tenth of my staff. That's all I got. But now what does Jacob have? He's got sheep and he's got goats and he's got donkeys and he's got servants. It's a little tougher to tithe when you have a lot. Let me ask you, church, where are you in this process? If you have any questions, I'm looking at Scott Herndon, financial peace, financial peace. But let me just tell you my philosophy on on giving, okay? Scripture tells us, just like Jacob, God demands 10% at least. We call that the tithe. If you haven't learned that yet, then what God wants, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. 
And God blesses a generous giving spirit. 10% is what we've done. When I was a kid, I go and think about my home. We had two lawnmowers. We bought a new one every year. My brother got the new one. I got the wore out one. And we would cut grass. We cut Miss Brooks' yard for $2. The next day, 20 cents went to the church. My mother made sure of that. I've never, I can honestly, I have never had a problem giving 10%. I just think that's not even mine. And I, when Teresa and I married, she was same thing. It's not even mine. God demands a tithe. If you haven't learned the secret yet, you are suffering financially. May not be a financial lack, but it's a financial problem in your life if you haven't learned to give God what belongs to him. God demands a tithe. He deserves an offering. What is that? That's above and beyond our tithe. I don't really give something to the Lord from my, until I go above 10%. And we've, we've tried to do that over the years. That We're doing that just because God blesses it. I'll be honest with you. And here's the key. When God, when we give, God begins to direct the expenses. You know, we, those who are being led by the spirit of God are the children of God. God begins to defend the savings. That refrigerator didn't go out. You know, we got an air conditioner, been working on duct tape and bailing wire for a long time. You know, well, he defends the savings. Why? Because God blesses. God blesses. And so let me tell you, church, as a church member today, if you have not learned the secret of giving, you are missing a blessing. You're missing a blessing. It's one of the greatest spiritual truths that you will ever come to grips with in your own life, that all that you have comes from the Lord. So God blesses. We are blessed by God. Secondly, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. What did Laban say? He recognized in verse 27 that God had blessed him because of Jacob. And Jacob recognized that everywhere I've turned, God has blessed you. Let me tell you, that's just the beginning. Jacob would have a son who has a son now named Joseph. Joseph would go to Egypt. And everywhere Joseph went, things were different. God blessed Potiphar's home when he was there. God blessed the prison when Joseph was in charge. God blessed Egypt when Joseph was in charge because Joseph honored the Lord. Joseph made a difference. Late Joseph would also, uh, Jacob would have another son named Judah. Judah. And through Judah, he would have an offspring. His descendants would come. There would come one who, who would be a man who could walk on water, a man who could heal the, the sick, cause the blind to see, a man who could give life to those who were dead, a blessing through this man. It was just the beginning. God blessed others because of Jacob. Church, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. God has called us to be a blessing everywhere we go. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. Our lives bring glory to Him through our good deeds. But see, we're, I wrote this in my notes, we are people of influence. Did you know that? You know, it's always nice to be around somebody who's a person of influence. But if you're a Christian, you're a person of influence. What does that mean? It means that, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You're a person of influence. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing? How are you impacting your family, your friends, your place of business, 
your neighborhood? Can others see Christ in you? Is that office different because you're there? Is that home different because of your presence? I mean, you may be going to a family reunion and you're the only believer there. It ought to make a difference. You ought to make a difference. So quickly, we recognize, Jacob and Laban recognize that all that they had came from the Lord. And so I ask again the question Paul asked the church at Corinth, what do you have that you did not receive? And what's the answer? Zero. Nothing. Everything we have comes from the Lord. And God gives it to us for a purpose. And again, this keeps with the overall plan of redemption. You know, God didn't just slide this in on the Jews at the last minute. From the very beginning, he told Abraham, through you, all the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was God's plan. It was not just us four and no more, like a lot of Sunday school classes. You know, God said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to others. I heard a preacher say, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. But we're to be channels of blessing. And that's what, Abraham, uh, that's what Jacob was there. He was a blessing to Laban just by being there. But number three, Laban is reluctant to let Jacob leave. Let's just focus on Laban for just a minute. Verse 27. But again, Laban said to him, and now if it pleases you, stay with me. He's begging him. Please stay with me. Now why, let me ask you this. Why would Laban want Jacob to stay? You know, my first thought was, well, he's got two daughters and all these grandkids. As a grandfather, that would be a big part of my plea. But we're wrong. We'll see that in just a minute. From Laban's perspective, this was strictly a business decision. This was a business decision. Laban wanted Jacob to stay because Jacob was good for business. Laban was prospering because of Jacob. And all Laban could see, to put it in modern terms, is dollar signs. That's all he could see. The Lord says, I've been with, uh, excuse me, Laban pleads with Jacob, stay with me in his strictly business. He wants more. He's become a very greedy and self-centered man. Now here's the key, this part. He will, Laban will do whatever it takes to be successful. He's experienced great prosperity because of Jacob, and he doesn't want to see it come to an end. Church, I think we would do well to learn from, Jacob, from Laban's bad example. See, Jesus warns us about greed, and Laban was a greedy man. Luke chapter 12, 15. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. What do we learn about greed from this story? Number, number one, greed impacts our relationship with God. Look at verse, chapter 31, verse 12. God is speaking to Jacob in a dream. He says, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Laban's greed, his mistreatment of Jacob did not go unnoticed by God. God knows the heart. And Laban's heart had caught God's attention because of his evil intent. He was trying to do injustice, injustice to his son-in-law because he was a greedy man. Greed impacts our relationship with God. Obviously, the Lord was displeased with Laban's action and his attitude. Because again, the Lord sees the heart. His greed had caused him to mistreat Jacob. 
Jacob knew what Laban had done, and so did the Lord. See, greed is kind of a subtle thing in us, isn't it? Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, when he was talking about the parables of the soil, the soil that fell among the thorns, he says this. What happens to that soil? He said, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and listen to this, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. See, if we're not careful, church, just like Laban, we can desire for more and more and more, never being satisfied with what we have. Laban didn't have a lot when Jacob arrived. All Jacob had was a stick. But God began to bless. But here's Laban's attitude. The more he gets, the more he what? He wants. And see, that's the nature of the flesh. That's the nature of worldly materialism. It will never satisfy. The more we get, the more we want. And that's a picture of Laban. Greed impacts our relationship with God. And whenever materials become our God, then we've lost touch with our Heavenly Father. Secondly, greed impacts our relationship with others. Laban's own daughters, Rachel and Leah, they saw the terrible results of their father's greed. Look at chapter 31, verses 14 and 15. Rachel and Leah are talking to Jacob. Jacob says it's time to go. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not ruined by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Do you hear what they're saying? Rachel and Leah both agree. Are we not strangers to our fathers? He has sold us for his own prosperity. What a terrible thing for children to say about their dad. Are we not strangers to our father? What a terrible thing for a wife to say about her husband. Am I not a stranger to my husband? Where is he? He sold us for his business. He sold us for success. And that's what, that's the American dream many times, isn't it? We will offer our families on the altar of success. That's what Laban did. Isn't that sad? Rachel and Leah, are we not strangers to our father? He doesn't even know us. All he thinks about is material wealth. Well, like many men today, Laban was a man with misplaced priorities. His success was more important to him than his own family and even more important than his relationship with God. Men, that's a recipe for disaster, is it not? Is it not? Too many husbands, too many fathers have made the same mistake. Even worse, too many men and women have neglected their relationship with the Lord in order to succeed in the world. Neglecting their family, neglecting their walk with God. Jesus asked, will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there's going to be something in our life that we think is important enough to forfeit our own soul so that we can gain it. Well, the prophet of man, if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul. So we learn from Laban the terrible lesson of greed. Laban didn't want Jacob to return to Canaan. It wasn't because of his family. He'd already lost his family. And men, if we're not careful, there's going to come a point in our life where we can say that we've already lost our family. We've already lost our kids. We've already lost our wife. 
because of greed and materialism. Laban didn't want it to happen, but Jacob's return to Canaan was important. It was a part of God's plan. It was vital to God's plan. The plan that was revealed to Abraham in Genesis 12, it continues to develop here because now God is developing not only his people, but also a place, a place we call what? The promised land. A people and a place. God's plan of redemption coming together. That comes to the conclusion this morning. Number four, Jesus. Jesus rewards his followers with his presence. See, what began in Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. This plan was fulfilled in Jesus, not only to have a people, but to have a place. And that's what we'll talk about quickly. First of all, we are God's children through Christ. But as many as believed in him, to them he gave the right, the privilege to become children of God. We are people of God through faith in Christ. We are of the seed of Abraham. We're of his descendants because we believe in Jesus who came from the tribe of Judah, who came from Jacob, who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham. And now we are his children because we, by faith, have trusted in Christ. Do you see that? Who are we? We are children of God. And as a result, worldly prosperity will never satisfy. See, it's not designed to. We're designed to have a relationship with God. We're designed to worship the creator, not the creation. When we worship the creation rather than the creator, everything in our lives is out of order. It just doesn't work right. God created you for himself and you will only find true satisfaction in him. God blessed Jacob with herds and servants and a homeland. God blesses his people today. Listen to me. God blesses his people today with himself. With himself. His presence in our life. So we find true satisfaction in him. And secondly, we live eternally with him. The people, who are the people? We're the people who trust Christ. We're the children of God. Where are we headed? To a place Jesus said in John 14, he's preparing for us right now. Right now. Like the preacher who said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody in their church raised their hand except one, one guy sitting on the front. And the guy said, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah, but I'm not ready to go right now. <laughs> but there is a place for us. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, Jesus says he's preparing a place for us right now in his Father's house. It's a place that we can truly call home. Jacob longed to go home. If you're a Christian today, you have a home in heaven. And there's just something in our hearts that longs for home. During the Civil War, the Union, troop, the Union troops and the Confederate troops found themselves on the opposite sides of the Potomac River one night. They were getting ready for a battle. And during that night, as was the custom, the, the bands, the musicians began to play. They'd play songs to encourage the soldiers of the Union troops and the Southern troops. And they were playing songs. And as they were so close together, the Union song began to band would play a song and the Confederates would drown them out. Then the Confederate band would start playing a song and the Union band would drown them out. And then suddenly, one of the bands started playing a song called Home Sweet Home. Both bands joined together <laughs> because every one of those men longed more than anything else to be home. There's no place like home. Church, as, a, as, a, as an individual, do you have a home in heaven? Do you know that you have a relationship with Christ? 
Is that matter settled once and for all? As a believer, let me ask you, are you finding your satisfaction in him and him alone? Because Jesus only satisfies. He's the only one that can bring true satisfaction into our life. The world will never satisfy. Believers, don't be distracted by worldly wealth. Don't be distracted by worldly attractions. Because I have found personally what attracts soon will begin to attack. And it will cause problems in our spiritual life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the lessons.